It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here again uh, to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday. We're live and uh, coming to you uh, with uh, two new guests, as we do every week. Uh, in case this is the uh, first time you're tuning in the show, or maybe you haven't been uh, back for a little while, kind of give a little recap, a reminder how uh, the show kind of works and why we exist. So, um, you know, I have the kind of privilege of meeting a lot of these cool leaders and, and uh, people thinking about talent and leadership and employee engagement and culture. And instead of me being the one to just have a one-on-one conversation and maybe learn from them, really devise this show to give an opportunity to allow everyone to listen in on what we're talking about, hear the concepts and things that we are excited about talking about this year, and also give you the opportunity to, to tune in and uh, also chime in if you want as well. So uh, more about that in a second. Um, you know, Talent Talk is live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, but most of you get us after the fact on a podcast on iTunes or you listen to us on iHeartRadio, even going to our website, talenttalkradio.com. Really appreciate everyone who's doing that. Over 10,000 of you a day are coming in and listening to one of our shows, and that's really exciting for us. So if you want to be a part of the show uh, today or uh, if it's after the fact and keep the conversation going, love for you to hop on Twitter, send us uh, your questions, your comments, your thoughts, at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag, Talent Talk. Uh, if you look there, you can usually find the people on the show. We've uh, you know promoted that their appearance there, so you can ask them questions as well directly. Uh, but my producer, Mike, will try to feed me in any questions live if you get to us today. Also, don't forget, I'm doing a huge uh, pre, um, kind of pre-order campaign here in January of 2018, if you happen to be listening live or around that time. For anyone who wants to help me uh, come in and, and get a copy of the book and be a part of the pre-order promotion, you can go to culturedceo.com to learn more there or send an email to book at peopleg2.com. All right, let's go ahead and get to my guest today. Uh, I have two guests, and uh, my first one will be Dr. Lapora Menifee, Vice President of Talent Management, Change Leadership, and Human Resources for NextGen People. And with a with a title like that, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. And then mm-hmm. after the commercial break, we'll bring in the for the second half of the show, uh, Jason uh, Leverant, uh, President and COO at Atwork Group. But let's go ahead and uh, bring in my first guest. Uh, so, Dr. Lapora, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. And I hope I'm saying your your first name correctly because I have a bad habit of mispronouncing everything. Yes, that is perfect, Lapora. Great. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your background, and of course, you know, what you're doing over there um, with Next Gen People. 
Absolutely. So my experience extends beyond people um, operations, but also into the more transformation of our organizations. And what we're seeing currently today is a major drive toward change and transformation. If you speak to any recruiter about what the C-suite is looking for, what C-suite leaders, organizations need, there are those with the skill sets to be able to lead to navigate change. Uh, So my focus has been specifically on change work, largely in the area of people and human resources, but change and transformation in in several areas from your HR uh, department restructurings all the way to your payroll automation, uh, and then overall process reengineering for effectiveness and efficiency in other areas, including IT, uh, marketing, as well as business operations. Uh, NextGen People is a particularly unique organization, uh, not because it focuses on talent management and process improvement, which it does, uh, but it focuses specifically on transformational change uh, with the perspective being lent to next practices. So we hear a lot of talk about best practices and what people are doing in the industry, and what we like to focus on is how can you be most competitive in the future? So. What are going to be the needs of your customers, say, five years from now? Or what are going to be the needs of your employees, say, five years from now? So that our clients are prepared to uh, be, be highly competitive in not only the market for customers, but also the market for employees, uh, which we know there's a, a severe war on talent that is taking place. So uh, there's no time like the present uh, where the, the need and the desire to take sufficient care for talent has been more important than today. Why don't you talk a little bit about your role at NextGen People. You did a great job there of kind of getting us an idea of what you guys do, but maybe specifically what you do to help C-suite executives and other leaders, you know, reach performance goals and maybe increase effectiveness and efficiencies. So we help with a lot of different um, aspects that organizations need. We are a comprehensive firm. I specifically focus a lot of my time on providing uh, thought leadership and executive coaching uh, to C-suite level and and a little bit below that in VP level professionals. Uh, What I like to do is focus on the leadership because they do have such a huge impact on the rest of the organization. So, for example, they may have a change in mind that they want to implement. Say, for example, they want to transform their culture in a certain way or they want to uh, make a a major organizational restructuring change, or they're not really quite sure on what change to do first or on what pace I come in, and I basically provide a think tank situation uh, for the leaders, uh, for the C-suite representatives of the organization, so that we can discuss specifically where is the organization and identify the gaps between where the organization is and where they're trying to go so that we can understand specifically the resource that, resources that will be needed to get there, as well as the appropriate timing. Uh, because there are two major elements that we look at when we're looking at change and proposed change for an organization. One is the significant impact of that change in general, and the second is the maturity level of the organization for change. So a lot of times there are certain changes that will be transformational and a high impact for any organization, However, what we have seen is different organizations have different appetites for change. So we can go very quickly and say organization A, whereas we have to go a bit slower in organization B. So I help provide that thought leadership around the change as far as what that strategy looks like. 
uh, what is the best way they can deliver that with the most effective and, and efficient way of delivery, uh, how to get the biggest bang for their buck, so to speak. And then again, what is the appropriate timing and communication that should take place for their proposed transformation? Sure, and that sounds like uh, beyond being super important, but also oh, complicated is the right word, but certainly in depth, right? I mean, there's a lot of layers and a lot mm -hmm. of things happening there, um, uh, really at different yeah. levels. So mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I know one of your specialties, if we sort of, you know, uh, maybe kind of get into the fold a little bit here, is around culture assessments. So yeah. what sort of tools or analytics or things do you use when you're assessing a company's culture to really make suggestions on how to improve? Sure, um, that's a great question. So for us, we specifically do use a, a culture assessment tool to identify, there are two different steps of it that are engaged. Uh, firstly, is to identify what are the specific themes of the organization's culture. So in any given organization, whether or not they know what that culture is, there are certain cultural elements, certain cultural themes that exist. What is rewarded? You know, what is allowed? What is the way that uh, business is conducted, what is the relationship uh, doings that, that go on from day to day, what is the style of relationships and decision making, the different elements that influence what that cultural blueprint looks like, if you will, for any specific organization. So what we do is we identify and assess what those themes are. So that's one very important piece. And then the second piece that I think is most ignored by a lot of culture analysts, but very, very important, is we analyze the strengths of that culture. So, for example, you have certain cultures, for example, if you think of a GE, from the outside, GE appears to have a very strong culture because not only are they very specific regarding what they want, what they desire in their people, and what they reward, they're very consistent in that. So you will have organizations that have a set of values, but yet when you work with the organization, you may see the values here or there. Um, that type of organization may say have a culture, but the culture is defined in, on a much weaker level. So what we like to do is not only assess, okay, what are the cultural themes, but also how strong is the culture. And the reason why that is very important because you will have CEOs and you have leaders to say they want a desired culture X or, or culture is, you know, A versus B. And what we like to basically explain to them is if this is what you want your culture to, to be, uh, you know, yes, there are some glimmers of it. However, it's not very strong. It's not very stable. Or it is very strong and very stable in this direction, even though this is not what you want. So it's very important to understand the degrees um, of how culture exists within a, an organization because ultimately the culture is going to drive outcomes and even drive performance of the organization and subsequently uh, the individuals. And it's very important, I will also add, to have intentional culture because a lot of times in the past, I would say, uh, this is definitely getting a lot better among our top leaders, but a lot of times in the past, top leaders did not really appreciate how they could shape culture. They sort of said, well, you know, culture is what it is, and it's this mushy, soft, amorphous thing that really cannot be defined, and that's, you know, very far from the truth. Culture absolutely can be uh, defined and measured. And when it's intentional, that is truly when the leaders have the most influence on the culture and the most influence on the impact of culture on how the organization performs and behaves. Uh, so we are huge advocates for intentional culture and creating culture, maintaining it, uh, and sustaining it versus just, say, recording it or 
assuming that it is something that it may or may not necessarily be. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I know uh, sort of in my own work with my book and looking at what companies are doing, you know, the best companies are doing it like GE. I mean, and they have it very, they've dialed in, they've figured out, they know what they want, what they don't want, and they know how to, mm-hmm. to give it going. And then there's everybody else, which is most other companies. And people are starting to, to see that, 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 that it's important and that it is something they can manage and they can inf- influence and impact. But there's still mm-hmm. probably at least 60% of the companies out there that are just, it's almost like they're walking in the dark, kind of blindly looking for the light switch and they don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. And there really is a lot of places they can go. You know, maybe we could talk a little bit about change management because if you decide where to go and you decide what to do and you, you have an idea and if your company's decided on the direction they want to go, that whole process of making that change is really, really important. Um, mm-hmm. I know last year you wrote an article on change management, uh, that it's, sure. uh, is the new thing over Six Sigma. So ultimately, you know, you kind of argue that they're really, you can't really separate the two, but both exactly. are tools that can, that really should be, you know, ha- have a business repertoire. So maybe can you share about how important that is, how people do it, uh, and some of your thoughts from that article? Sure, absolutely. So the article actually emphasized how they basically complement each other, a Six Sigma and change. And, um, you know, Six Sigma, a Six Sigma project, you know, what I profess in the article is that it's incomplete without the change management component. Uh, And most successful Six Sigma projects do have some uh, change management component with it. And not just Six Sigma, but, you know, projects in general. But I specifically were were using those in the article because they're very powerful tools in and of themselves uh, within those specific disciplines. Uh, But what's very important to understand is, you know, Six Sigma is focused on effectiveness and and efficiency and gaining that, you know, do a a project for a certain period of time, which, you know, is obviously what a project is. It's a set period of time of an initiative to accomplish something. And what the specific change management approaches does is allow you to connect behavior, sustained behavior, with what we're saying is effective and efficient. So, for example, with Six Sigma, I might come in and propose, okay, hey, we're going to cut out these two steps because they don't add value or we're going to add a couple of steps to the checklist so that we can reduce errors. However, if the change component is not addressed, then it's probably not going to be a sustained victory. So, for example, with change, what we're focusing on is not only the thought leadership component, like I I just discussed a moment ago, where I'm sitting down with leaders, with executives, and basically developing a strategy as far as comprehensive rollout. But the other component about change specifically is sustaining that desired behavior so, of course, we're going to measure what does the utilization look like, which we're going to see, obviously, in a Six Sigma project. But we're going to go above and beyond that with change because we also want to measure what is the attitude toward that Six Sigma project or that change. Do people like it? And if they don't like it, why don't they like it? And then in addition to that, what is the proficiency level? So I might, for example, have... 100 people on a team, and I say, hey, instead of doing process A, this is the new process B that I want you to carry out. And the reason why I want them to do process B is it's going to save the company X number of dollars, or it's going to make us X amount more accurate by reducing our errors by, say, 15%. Well, what I need to understand and ensure is that that team knows how to use process B, and I don't just 
hand over some sets and assume that they can adapt their skills from process A to process B. So these are the types of tools that we ensure um, that are included in our change management approach. It's about managing the change from a behavioral perspective, realizing the people understand why they're doing it, what their attitude is connected to what they're doing. Secondly, we're ensuring that they know how to do it, that they are receiving the appropriate training for the change in order to sustain the change after we, you know, go live. And thirdly, very similar to Six Sigma and change, we are identifying, are they actually utilizing these new processes, these new changes? Not only three months, but six months, a year down the line, are we institutionalizing those changes And if not, why? Then we have to regroup and basically look at our change strategy and say, hey, what can we do differently? What can we do better to better sustain the changes that we're looking for? Now, one of my sort of um, things that I I found fascinating that I've noticed in in time and working with companies and talking about these types of things or culture changes is mm-hmm. that it's often the pretty good companies, right? Maybe B minus, yeah. but mostly the B pluses and the A minus companies that are the ones that are really looking at this and are wanting to get to the A plus level, right? They 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 yeah. are they already understand its value, they understand how being great can, can help their company and they want to get there. And it's very mm-hmm. often the C, D, and F companies, if you're gonna put a grade on them that don't get it and aren't aren't willing to change and don't want to listen or you don't have problems. I'm wondering if you kind of see some of that sim- similar path and maybe you could talk about, you know, how open companies tend to be to changing with suggestions to how they might work. Absolutely. And any change, you know, first of all, let me say, you know, it's important to acknowledge that change is difficult. You know, people get used to their routines, they get used to their patterns, they get used to knowing what works. Predictability is safe. So if I'm doing a job a certain way, say, for a year to 10 years, that feels safe to me. I know if I do X and Y, it's going to lead to Z. So it's very important to appreciate that when when people resist change, that is the normal response. For those who immediately adapt to change, that's the irregular response, even though that's what we want, you know, oftentimes, we have to understand for people to immediately adapt, that is, that is truly the irregular response that we see. And so when we look at stakeholders, stakeholders being the people who are impacted or influenced by the change, we tend to see three major groups. There's actually more than three, but the, the book will follow or will basically land in, in three different groups. So one is the group, you know, essentially that is going to be the major resistors of the change. We often call them the skeptics and those people, you know, they're going to resist the change for change sake because it's something different. And then there's the group that's sort of in between and they're really waiting to see how this thing plays out because if it's successful, they're on board. However, if it's not successful, they definitely don't want to jump on the bandwagon. And then there's that group that's going to be collaborative, cooperative, and they're excited about the change because they realize the opportunity that it can bring for the organization. So in dealing with those components, it's important for us to understand where the people um, fall within among those different groups because it's quite frankly, it's a very different messaging. It's a very different um, collaboration and handling that takes place among these different groups. So the skeptics, for example, we don't want to just discount their value because they obviously have value because they're in the organization and they have knowledge. So first and foremost, we want to understand why are they skeptics. 
And this is very important because they may have legitimate reasons why they're against whatever the change is. And oftentimes, it's not necessarily an all-or-nothing situation. So they might be against certain components of the change that may be addressed, that may be improved. But if we don't listen to them, then we lose that feedback and that opportunity to truly uh, improve the, the change, the transformative solution that we're proposing. So dealing with that group in a way that is, is very fair is important, but also it's important as well to understand the limitations of the opposition that we're going to experience once the transformation is, is fully decided. Um, that middle group is very important because they tend to fall in that neutral area. So it's very important that this group uh, receive the attention that they deserve as far as understanding, fully understanding what it is, you know, that's in it for them in order to support the change and how to get them on board and to engage them and invite them in the process as very active participants. Especially those who are already, you know, fully supported and immediately, they're going to be your instant champions. And they should be fully utilized, especially in educating and helping to bring that neutral group up to speed as far as this is how we can truly be empowered in the change. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio brought to you by People G2.